Welcome to the Absent Father Podcast, a weekly conversation where we discuss the impacts in all areas of our life of growing up with an absent father, how to overcome them, and the superpowers we create along the way. I'm your host, Rodney Miller, executive coach, MBA, and son of an absent father. You can learn more about me and get in touch by visiting www.rodneymuller.com. We got greatness by choice. We got gravity by chance. All right. Welcome to another episode of the Absent Father podcast. I'm really, really delighted today for this, uh, this particular episode. Uh, today we're interviewing a gentleman by the name of uh, Dr. Scott Mills. Dr. Scott Mills is the creator of the Human Evolution System a gentle approach to creating more resilience, abundance, and joy in the lives of people. His work blends Eastern and Western approaches to train your brain to create more possibility. Uh, You can find him teaching on Mind Valley as well as working with private clients around the world. And I just, I absolutely love this conversation. So, you know, for those of you that have been listening, you know, we started with kind of me sharing my story and a lot of the insights that I saw about, uh, the impacts of growing up with an absent father, how to overcome them, and the superpowers that we create along the way. Uh, you know, in season two, we've we've kind of invited other people to share their story, which we will continue to do. But I also have heard from a lot of you, um, and am excited to share with you now some some experts that uh, and some teachers and some leaders that can really help us uh, overcome the impact. Uh, or in this interview, as Scott Mills talks about, it's not really about overcoming it, but really learning to love and integrate and make whole all the parts of ourselves. So uh, today's conversation was just so fun. Uh, we talk a little bit about Scott's own experience uh, of growing up, um, you know, his relationship to his father and his parents, you know, like everyone, not perfect. Um, and I think that that we make a really cool point there. And ultimately, we get into this conversation about resilience. And uh, uh, Dr. Mills talks a lot about this concept of super resilience, which I found uh, really fascinating. I think, uh, I know for myself, I would probably identify, and I certainly, when I think about uh, people who grew up with an absent or distant father, I think about uh, you all being very resilient people. Um, but what Dr. Mills talks about is is this concept of super resilience, which, um, you know, I think in my mind, when I think resilience, I think like DIY survival, uh, and I'm tenacious and able to do that. Um, but Dr. Mills talks about this idea of super resilience. Um, and it's really this way of, you know, starting from a whole and grounded place, um, um, becoming super resilient. And, uh, I think that's a really beautiful message um, for you, for us, something that I'm going to practice. Uh, so we dive into that today with Dr. Scott Mills and, uh, right at the end, um, you know, he kind of just walks us through the simple, uh, sort of meditation you might say, or a, a little exercise that can help us do something now, um, right now. So if you're going into some kind of scary, uh, conversation or maybe you have a job interview or some some arena where you're feeling nervous or unsafe walks us through this just beautiful exercise uh near the end that i think you all will enjoy so without further ado here is this interview with dr scott mills 
and I hope you enjoy. All right. Well, welcome. I'm, I'm really excited to have, uh, have you with us, Scott. Uh, this is Scott Mills, who um, I, I came across in, uh, uh, got acquainted with this author, Ken Honda, who wrote Happy Money, and uh, then was introduced to Scott and really um, got to connect with him around this conversation, which I've been in lately, and, and I think always, especially as a a son of an absent father investigating my relationship to money. Um, so I'm really excited to talk to you. We're going to talk about way more than that today. Uh, uh, getting into some of the ideas really of, you know, having connected with what the impacts are and some of the superpowers of growing up with an absent father. Now I, I want to shift and kind of invite Scott into this conversation about how to overcome them. Cause that's a lot of what I think he can help us with today. So uh, welcome, and I'd love to hear hear about you and hear about your work. Uh, thanks so much for in- inviting me, Rodney. First of all, before I say anything else, I just want to appreciate the work that you're doing in the world. Um, I know as a little kid, you know, and I shared with you before, my parents were separated off and on since I was five years old. So I'm very familiar with what it feels like to have a parent that's gone, you know, and wonder if they're ever coming back. And, you know, so much of, of what you've been bringing light to are things that we have not had space to talk about in our culture. You know, we've had this notion that men are supposed to be strong and, um, you know, we're supposed to just forget these things. All children are. Um, so, so I love that this conversation is happening and that you were leading it. So this is just an extraordinary place to be. And I've got to tell you part of what, um, so you mentioned Ken. Ken is a dear friend and extraordinary teacher, um, actually the best-selling personal development author in Japan like 8 million books sold. But part of what we bonded on immediately was this, this place of father. And we teach this course for Mind Valley together that you experienced us at, um, initially um, around money EQ. And so much of that work is really about, you know, at its core, trusting life and the capacity to allow yourself to really be supported so that you can work with and flow with life. And I know for so many people on this podcast, this is going to be something that they're going, oh my gosh, how do I do that? So, so this is going to be a great conversation. I just know already. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I uh, um, appreciate you sharing, you know, a bit about your story and experience. And I think that that's, that's like, that's been the um, really a genesis and an inspiration for, bringing light to the conversation because, you know, so many of us, all of us, and we were sharing about this earlier that, you know, in a way uh, the conversation that we're having is really applicable to most people. um, Almost all people, I would say. And I I kind of uh, relate to, um, you know, being a parent now myself. um, I I came across actually recently a a Japanese term that I really uh, resonate with, which is uh, Omo Tanashi. And um, it's this concept that um, it, it's essentially, from my understanding, it informs um, this Japanese sense of hospitality. And it basically means like um, to, to pursue perfect service, um, to pursue perfection in the service of others. And I was like, exactly. That is exactly what I think um, as a parent you intend to be. Um, even I think, I believe even the fathers that weren't around, um, and maybe even in the worst cases, it's like this, 
I think it's inherent that you want to be perfect. Um, and when we have to face or be with the part of us that isn't, that can lead to uh, abandonment or distance or alcoholism or all the other things. Um, and so anyway, all that to say, I, I often say, I'm like, unless your parents were like Jesus himself or whoever else you elevate as the most perfect human being and uh, the most perfect mother, then, you know, you're, there's probably something to get here. Um, and I, I loved uh, especially that, that work and as we'll get into, but this idea about, um, you know, trusting life, right? Cause when you start off without or having that trust broken with the people that should most provide it, I think it really, um, there's a huge impact to that. We don't often talk about it. We just kind of call it ordinary or normal. So. I love, <clears throat> I love to tease parents a little bit. And so I tease parents and say, you know, you're going to mess your kids up a little bit. Um, and it keeps me in business. So I, I appreciate that. Keeps all of us <laughs> doing this work. And I really do mean this as a tease because um, in my mind and in my experience, um, you know, I've worked with thousands of people at this point. Um, every parent is doing the best they can with the resources they have. So whenever I, I'm in conversation with someone, whether I'm teaching or it's a private client, um, there's a sense of this release of accusation that I start with. So this would be a place that I would, I'd love to invite everybody into for just a moment in this conversation today, which is this place where there, there's no part of what I'm saying that your parents, even if they were terrible, you know, and I have heard the horror stories to, to kind of top all horror stories from people around the world. But even when the parents are terrible, they're doing the best they can with what they have. And sometimes what they have is just not enough. Um, most of us are pretty lucky in that when our parents are not doing enough, it's, it's not devastating. Like we can't, we can still come back from it. Um, so what, if for just a moment, um, we can disconnect from the energy of, of blaming and making wrong, um, our parents, it will actually make life easier. And, you know, I love this notion, you know, sometimes we call this forgiveness, but what all we're really doing is we're releasing some energy because sometimes what we've done is connect to the pain and the accusation and that's all we have. So, so there's this just huge sense of like, oh, you messed me up. If you wouldn't have done this, life would be better. If you would have done this, you know, all, all these things would have worked out. And the beautiful thing is, even if the only thing that an absent father was able to provide was the genetic material for you to exist, which may be the case for some people, you know, they may never have met their father. That gift may be all that they were able to give. And in fact, for some fathers that are violent, they may have been unsafe to be with their kids, so they leave. So, so if we can start in this place of just having a little bit of gentleness for everybody involved, um, I think it'll make it a bit easier so we're not having to overcome. We're just embracing the experience that we've had. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It's, it's like, it makes perfect sense. And I, I mean, it, you know, I, I often, I share in, in the podcast, like my journey, which was, you know, from, um, from being a kid that was like, you know, I remember I, I never knew my father, you know, at a young age, I, 
he was just absent before I was born. Um, but my journey was sort of from, you know, I remember I would say like when I was five or six, when I meet my dad, I'm going to kick him in the balls. Like that was like my, I think that was, and not even really in an angry way. It was like this innocent boy way, you know, and then, um, you know, later met my father in my teens and, uh, never really had much of a relationship, but you know, the journey went from sort of, you know, angry and upset, um, to then a very intellectual explanation, which kind of led me into a path of a lot of self-help work and that sort of thing. Um, to assuming that I was over it (laughs) to then realizing that there was more work to do, more sadness, more anger, um, to process, which some of which was directed at my parents and some of which was kind of just my internal work to move through it, um, to now really coming to this place of, you know, really thankfully to, um, some of the ACA 12 step work, which is adult children of alcoholics or, you know, alcohol is not really the important key there. It's just people who are less than present as kind of, we were sharing. Um, but coming to the place of really that, you know, I think to your point, like, I really don't, think that, you know, our parents, um, have a lot of choice about who they were. Um, and one of the points that there's this beautiful, um, passage in, in some of the adult children literature, which I encourage everyone to read, um, just from a spiritual perspective, it's excellent. Um, but it just talks about, um, you know, that it's this visualization of, um, you know, your, family lined up across generations, you know, stretching a long line to the beginning of humanity. And, and each generation, the small bundle is passed from one to the next. And the bundle is shame and pain and uh, suffering. Um, And so, so I I say a lot to say, like, absolutely. I think that, you know, when I think about my own father, the, the, the access to that, that, genius that you just shared like gentleness for them the access for me the only way i could really get access was to um to have empathy and to listen to like my so my father you know i didn't know him but but when i started to just get a little tidbit of his experience as a child he had no chance like he was he was abused his father was murdered the year i was born um he was in and out of foster homes um, and clearly suffered so much pain that he was wrestling with as an adult. And so, um, I just love that point that you made because, um, and it's not to let go of our own pain or abdicate responsibility, but to, but to connect to, there's sort of a larger picture going on here. And, and, um, we, we have to move through ultimately the anger and sadness, um, with the other in order to get to our own healing, I think. Yeah. So, and part of it is just setting a frame for gentleness. You know, my students tease me because one of the things I say over and over is, is just be gentle with yourself. Mm. Um, if you're gentle with yourself, you can start to be gentle with other people. Mm. Um, it, the reality of what, what I have seen, you know, and this, I love this, this notion of passing the bundle um, is usually and there's some extenuating circumstances that I know change things. But usually, even when someone's abusive, they've tempered it from whatever they experienced from their parents. Mm. So, you know, we'll, we'll have this, like, level of improvement 
even when what someone's describing to me from their parents was like atrocious right. and you're just like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. But then we'll check in to see, you know, well, what was going on for them as a child. And it's, it's usually like so much worse. So they're trying to do better as, as best they can. So it's part of why I step into this um, sense of, of gentleness. I'd, I'd love to say just before we jump in, just a couple other pieces that I think are helpful. Um, in terms of context, because I, I, I so appreciate what you were sharing about this journey to coming into this place of healing, um, into this place of peace. And I think ultimately that's what we're all going for. We're going for this place where we can have a good relationship with life, where we can be happy, where, where we can enjoy life, do what we're passionate about, connect other people. And for a lot of us, the road to that is, is self-help. And I work with so many self-help authors, you know, I'm connected to that community. I teach in it all the time. And I'm also one of its most vocal critics. So, so I want to say a little bit just so folks can understand a bit about how I approach this. Um, and I think when you're as intimately connected with something as I am in the self-help world, there's a space where it's okay to be critical and critical just meaning in deep conversation with. Totally. Um, so one of the things I want folks to notice right away is a lot of times the journey to self-help, um, you know, a journey of self-help for healing our wounds with our parents is really, a, you know, we say, oh, it's our beliefs and our thoughts and, you know, all of these things. Um, if we could just change or forgive, everything would be okay. Here's what, what I want people to understand. Most of this experience that you're having was created when you were very young usually before you're two, maybe three years old. Um, that experience is in some ways a decision, in some ways just a way to understand the world. So when a little one comes into the world, the only thing we can't handle, you know, other than being killed, obviously, is for the world to make no sense. When the world makes no sense, we're just out of luck. Like we become hopeless and we fail to survive. So what usually we do is we look around and we go, oh my gosh, my dad's not here. You know, I wish that dad was here. You know, we see these other kids whose fathers are present. And I'm in the first generation of latchkey kids and divorce. Like I remember when it was a big deal that the neighbor kids' parents got divorced. Like now it's just the, oh, everybody's divorced. Um, so, you know, makes it a little easier. But in that period, and, you know, for most of us, we look around and go, oh, dad's not here. I must have done something wrong. And we do this. It's a very smart survival strategy when we're little because it puts power back onto us. If we say, oh, I must have done something wrong, then maybe I could do something right and I could bring him back. You know, or if my parents are divorced or fighting, oh, if I can be the locus of this, then maybe I can adjust the system so they get along. So for most of us, we made a decision or a kind of a way to engage life that said, I must be broken and I need to be fixed very, very early on. Those patterns get trapped in us, um, really in our bodies. So a lot of times when you're doing belief work as a 40-year-old or a 30-year-old or 60-year-old, whatever, um, you're missing completely the place that this, this experience lives in and was shaped. So we move back to the place of the little one um, and the, simply the, the beliefs, the, the structures, 
much more than beliefs that got frozen. So, so much of what I want people to do is actually come back to this gentle place, gentle both for their adult self, but also their child self that made some choices that aren't serving them so well now. Um, and a lot of what you get to do in that process is let go of most of the self-help rhetoric. You, you don't need to journal a thousand pages. You don't need to um, look at you know, all of your beliefs. We really have to go to the core of what is my relationship to life? How am I organizing my experience? And what would I like to be different here? Um, and so much of, you know, you mentioned this work that I do that we call super resilience. So much of that is literally just finding a way to trust life. Um, so that's, that's the context I'm hoping yeah. we hang out in, in this conversation, because I think I it's that. much more useful for us to, to know that we can be gentle with ourselves, create profound change and come to a place where we can trust life and we can have just a really different experience. I love that. I love that. And um, I, I'm excited to get to super resilience, but I'm, I'm teasing them a little bit because we're like, oh, yeah. we're going to wait there. But um, one, one thing that I, I wanted to share and then, and then shift directions a little bit um, to talk about kind of your superhero powers, because that's one thing I'm really present to in this conversation, you know, like this. Um, and I think it relates to the, um, the self-help arena can be very, can really miss the mark, I think. Um, and so I, I can just, I, I love and appreciate and immediately when I first met you, like really respect the depth of understanding and the way that you think about the work um, in a very precise way. I really appreciate that. The thing that I, I, I love that you said was um, this idea, you know, kind of as a child that we um, sort of relate to ourselves as broken and um, there's this class, you know, there's this classic thing, right? When people get, uh, when, when parents get divorced, um, that kids often take the blame for that. And I, something I've been thinking about a lot about lately, because I mean, my, my wife and I are doing great, but you know, our kids three and a half and um, you know, it's stressful and um, it's a major change, right? Like it totally changed our dynamic um, the focus of our relationship, the the way that we tend to it, and it, it really requires an intentional shift and evolution. I think that any successful romantic relationship requires that. Um, but it's interesting. I, I was just like kind of putting that together to that point because, like, you know, I think I would say that it's never the kid's fault, right? But it's so easy to confuse it for that because. Um, to raise a child requires this evolution as a, as a, in a relationship. And so, um, so I just, just wanted to, I, I've been thinking a lot about that lately and you really, uh, your point really kind of brought that forward. So. When I love the, the, just understanding you're having of the relationship needing to evolve, this is the place for me. Um, when couples have a child, because it is super disruptive, um, especially the first two years. You know, most people I know um, who have children, the first two years, they're not sleeping. You know, the, the focus becomes, you know, this little human that doesn't speak yet. So it's almost like having a little wild animal in your house trying to figure out what is it trying to do? Like, what does it need? Um, I was listening to Wanda Sykes, who's this hysterical comedian, for those of you who don't know her, um, talk about her, her daughter. And, you know, she and her wife were trying to figure out, like, what, 
you know, what is, what does Olivia want? And they, you know, they try everything, give her food, give her, change her diaper. And then, you know, ultimately they're like, well, maybe I need to move the couch. Maybe she wants the couch on the other wall. You know, they're redecorating the room. So it's, I know that it's an incredibly stressful place to be. And that's one of those places where in my mind, we start to expand our circle. So I think sometimes when parents have a new child, they can become very isolated. Mm-hmm. So this is our little world, you know, and, and, and they're tired and there's not a lot of resourcefulness. So those are the places where first thing I always want to tell new parents is to know you're going to mess some things up and it's okay. Your kids, ultimately, if your intentions are good, if you, if your love is present. So if there's a lot of love and you mess something up, your kids will forgive you at some point. You know. It's such a good point. You know, I, I one of the greatest things that I got to learn and I, I say now to parents, it's like the only thing a kid ever really needs, I mean, you could do pretty terrible things to your kid, but if you um, get responsible for it and apologize, I'm like, which when I, the first time I heard like the idea of a parent apologizing to a child, I was like, what? I don't even understand the concept of such a thing. Um, but you know, it's so true, right? Like that, I think to your point, um, you know, our kids are really willing to forgive um, if you just own it and apologize. Right. And maybe not, maybe not immediately, but at some point they likely will. And what a beautiful model to be showing your kids that everybody makes mistakes. Mm-hmm. Everybody has a stressful day. Everybody has, you know, times that they're off center. So, so that first piece to just allow yourself. And I, I just reference this as safety, that there is safety um, in, in what you do, as long as it's out of love and in good intention. And, and as long as it's maintaining the, the health and well-being of your child. And then the second thing for new parents is to recognize the need for support. And this is one of the things I, I just find new parents missing all the time. It's this, you know, we used to live in communities that didn't move the way we move now. So when my grandparents were young, it was pretty common for the grandparents to be raising the children. You know, this extended family with aunties and uncles, and that still happens in many places around the world, but particularly in the U.S. and Western cultures that have have become smaller families, Mm -hmm. it's very common for it to be one mom, one dad, or, you know, one, you know, one set of parents maybe one mom or just one dad um, and, and feeling like, Oh, they have to carry the weight of the world on their shoulders, which I think is exhausting even more. Mm -hmm. So to, to own the need for support, which is so much of what, you know, we were playing with, with when you have not had support, you know, when a parent is missing, when you haven't had what you need is when you're young, we often learn to do it all on our own. Yeah. We become this superhuman So then you have kids of your own and it's like, oh, well, I've been doing everything by myself forever. So of course I'm going to do this by myself. And that's one of those places which becomes a really big invitation and an opportunity to change the relationship to life. So you can say, wow, you know, how could I support my child even more? I could start by allowing myself to be supported even more. So those are the two things I think for parents, just really helpful to to know right away. Yeah. Cool. Well, I want to dive into super resilience. I I did want to ask you one other question first though, um, which is, you know, 
I alluded to this a little bit, but in talking to you, um, and uh, I was re-presence to this um, recently, a, a listener of the podcast reached out from the UK and was, you know, just found it uh, based on authority figures and then like binged everything. And uh, when I talk to people who, you know, um, most definitely people who grew up with an absent or distant father, they, they, they have this superpower um, and it shows up in a various different ways, but I'm so present to you, you know, it's, it's like this incredible, um, depth and ability to hear underneath the surface, um, and your, your, your sweetness, like your gentleness and kindness, you know, that's just, I, I think is wrapped in this sort of deep empathy. I'm just curious, um, what you like how you think your story or how you honed these superpowers um, that you have, you know, how that really influenced your work. Um, because I think that, you know, when I think about like, and, and certainly we could talk about what's happening in our world right now. I think that, um, you know, people, people who grew up with an absolute distant father who are really um, um impacted by a lack of presence or love like they have this superpower that can heal the world um but i think it's going to require kind of what you're pointing to in terms of how do we become super resilient versus the diy resilient that i think we you know i certainly am great at and i think a lot of the listeners are um so how like what what i'm curious what your thoughts are about that about your superpowers you know how you hone them or or kind of any other thoughts that you want to share about that yeah, sure. That's a beautiful question. Um, you know, it's funny. I was talking to a client yesterday and she said to me, oh, I know everything happens for a reason. And it's actually something I don't believe. So for folks who are saying like, oh, I know this happened for a reason. But what I do believe is that everything has within it an opportunity, opportunity for learning hmm. or an invitation. So an invitation for some sort of choice. Um, and I think about, like, you could go right to Viktor Frankl, who um, wrote this extraordinary book called The Will to Meaning. He was a survivor of the Nazi concentration camps in Germany. And he said, you know, in the midst of all of this, you know, he lost his family. Um, at that point, you know, he was in the concentration camp. He didn't know where his family was, if any of them were alive. And at that point, he could have just chosen to, to stop, right? There's no sense of moving forward. But instead, he said, you know, the one thing they can't take away from me is my capacity to make meaning of my own life. And he had a purpose, which was then to go on and teach this, what he called logotherapy, meaning therapy. So he wrote his notes on little scraps of paper and hid them in the concentration camp. Um, this like sense of what's the invitation. Now, most of us don't have a situation that's that extreme, which is why I like to start there. Because we can notice like, wow, that's crazy. He had this experience and he went on to found this whole school and touch the lives of millions of people around the world. His work is still touching us. So for me, what I would say is, you know, not only did I have an absent father, when my father was home, he was a little nuts. Um, he was, you know, I'd say it is rangy. You know, and some of us might, you know, not alcoholic, but, you know, erratic behavior. So you learn when your parents are like this um, to do what one of my friends calls reading the weather. 
because when you go home, you don't know if, if it's going to be, Hey, how are you? Like, everything's good. Life is happy. Or if, if life has gotten really dark and you have no idea why, and there's no external signals. So for children of that experience, we tend to learn how to connect very deeply, very quickly. Like we can sense, kind of almost sense um, what's going on with people. There's lots of little cues. So for me, I think I picked that up. And that's what you know, some people call empathy is this capacity to feel with others, to know what's going on. Um, it's this yeah. deep, this deep sense of it, you know, that I, that I'm so present to like that, you know, there's like empathy, like, Oh, put yourself in another person's shoes, which is one form. But then there's this like, which I think you really, I really get the sense of like, and again, in this conversation, the other is just like, um, and I, I think it is a, is a superpower if we honor it um, for people who grew up with this experience where it's like, uh, you, you know, it shows up in like people, you kind of get people in such a way, whether you say it or not, that people open up to you um, or you, you have a sense of this underlying thing about others. And it's, it's just, it's really beautiful. It's really a special gift. Oh, thank you. Well, yeah. So there's, a, there's a couple pieces in that. So, so I'll say what ended up happening for me is I think initially, you know, when you connect in that way, um, it's easy to see the brokenness or the pain in others because that's primarily what you're sorting for. Um, and what ended up happening for me, uh, and this was through a journey of like years of doing a PhD and, you know, studying and like doing my own self-help work. Um, I realized I didn't want to look for the pain in people anymore, mm. that it's actually kind of boring. Um, <laughs> So, because so many people have pain and, you know, just noticing it with them just kind of rings a bell that makes them feel bad. Um, and what I started to discover in myself was I was actually pretty, um, a pretty okay person, you know, that I, I didn't need to keep fixing or looking for, for ways to adjust. Um, and then what was pretty cool about that is I was able to shift the, what I was listening for in people when I was connecting to them to listening for their wholeness. Um, listening for the places in them that they are resilient, that they are brave, that they are like living these amazing lives. And amazing doesn't mean like you want an Olympic medal. It, for me, if you woke up this morning and you engaged life, you were braver than you think you are because you showed up. Um, if you show up for life, if you keep making yourself available, that's the beginning of an amazing life. So just touching in to, to be able to feel into people and say like, well, what got you up this morning? You know, what convinced you that today was a day you wanted to engage in? Um, that's like quite an extraordinary conversation. Yeah. And part of what I think you notice that these you know, folks will share with me is actually the, the foundation for this work in super resilience. And I promise I'm not trying to get the conversation there. <laughs> not trying to sell it it's it's just it's a piece of the work that i'm doing right now so much so that base level piece and this is something i was sort of referencing for kids as well is to know in myself that i'm safe so this is something for so many of us who had absentee or like like chaotic childhoods in some way like the base level concern is is the world safe right our, our relationship with it with life is a little iffy because it's like, well, can I trust it? Like, oh, the person who's supposed to be there for me isn't. The support hasn't been there. 
when we can get to that place where we say, okay, in this moment, I'm safe. When you can feel it, you know, people don't think about safety. They think, oh, you know, like, oh, yeah, I mean, I'm fine. I'm not sorting for safety. The reality is a lot of people are sorting for danger all the time. Totally. So when you can step into that place of safety and you can feel it in yourself, that means that you're not a threat to me anymore. Like whoever I'm talking to is not a threat. As soon as you're not a threat, I can be open to all of you because I can hold that there's no part of you that can hurt me. I mean, you could stab me, I suppose, but you know, pretty unlikely, <laughs> like, especially in a zoom call. But for most of us, like if we're being really realistic, the person sitting across from us is, is safe. And when we can feel that in ourselves, we extend the capacity for the other person to also feel that in themselves mm. to start to notice like, Oh, I think this person isn't seeing me as dangerous. You know, and if you've grown up thinking you're broken, you've hurt your family, you've chased your father away, you've broken up your parents, like whatever, that's a, that's a pretty powerful kid, right? Yeah. It's a dangerous energy that they're holding. And as soon as you start to go, Oh, like he doesn't see me as, as that. Like he's actually seeing me as like this resourceful, amazing person who's created a podcast and is touching the lives of people all over the world. Um, regardless if you were doing anything, like it's not just like you're doing this big thing, but you're opening your heart. You're extending your, your, your being to other people. That's the place I think where when we can do that for each other, you know, this, and to me, that's like the very base level of human connection that allows us to move out of this kind of space we've gotten into where we have giant lines that we're drawing in the sand and saying, you're somebody different. I'm, you're threatening, you're dangerous. This danger thing is running our culture right now. Um, so, the, so the more we can get into this space of seeing each other's wholeness and connecting, um, th that's to me the superpower. And it's not one that's just mine. It's one that's available for every single person I've ever met. Yeah, um, it, it's so cool. It's so it's such a great point, Scott, because you know, I, I had this experience. Um, yeah, I, I was coaching some government workers um, and, uh, you know, it was a really short engagement, like three or four sessions. And, um, you know, they were not only just government workers, they were like um, um, leaders in an intelligence agency. And so that's a special kind of person because they're typically very private and quiet for obvious reasons. Um, but it was so cool because, you know, at the same time, there were still a lot of people like, just like, well, just clocking in my next five years to get to retirement, you know? And, uh, to your point, you know, one of the gifts of my life, uh, and a real awakening for me was like, um, I remember there was this one guy who, you know, worked in this intelligence agency and he'd been there for like 25 years and he was just kind of counting the days to retirement. Um, and he was just like, he felt so bored and, like his, you know, just waiting for retirement. And one of the coolest things that we were able to reflect is like, even in this, like, you know, doing, uh, you know, it wasn't some sexy job. It was some, you know, kind of mundane kind of government job, part of the cog. Um, but we were able to tap into, and I hear that this is what you're pointing to, what you see with people is like that if people exist, and I really believe this, if you exist, meaning if you are alive, that you are, there's a reason for that. There's a purpose. Um, and if we look, you know, in ourselves and if we look into others that we can actually see, um, we can see their purpose being expressed, whether it's, you know, sexy or famous or, you know, 
whatever. Um, and it was so cool because this guy, you know, his, his purpose was like in the arena of bringing people together and uh, sharing joy and sharing laughter. And like, you know, he was the guy over the last 25 years that like, you know, put together the money to put a refrigerator in their office space and raised a little money to bring, you know, create a little family outing so that the parents and kids could, you know, jump on the bouncy thing. And so it was just so beautiful because for him, he was like, you know, I'm, I'm not that special. I have this whatever job. And yet here he was really expressing this beautiful purpose, um, but wasn't recognizing it about himself. So I, I think that's a really, really awesome point. And leads us really beautifully into, I think, this conversation about super resilience. And um, as I was reading and listening to to the work, um, I, I was I was really excited because, you know, as, as I shared with you, I, I, I'm trying to kind of shift directions like, you know, okay, we're aware that there's some impacts of growing up with an absent father. How do we overcome them? Um, and how do we get to kind of more of a, a place of recognizing for ourselves um, this wholeness? Um, I love that you started um, with safety and um, I'm excited to dive into this because I was like, you know, I've been thinking about this in the face of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and I've been thinking about all of you listeners, although I haven't been recording podcasts over the last few months, but um, I was like, you know, I am definitely resilient uh, in the sense that, um, and I believe this about, you know, people of this community that um, I know how to like survive, uh, which I think sometimes we can equate to resilience, but you're talking about a whole different thing. Um, and so I'm really excited because I think that this is, you know, how we amplify our superpowers. I think that this is how we get to a place from surviving to thriving. So tell me about, tell me about super resilience. Um, and I'm excited to dive into it because uh, the first four points that you make, I'm like, yes, I need to do that. We need to do that. But how? So tell me about it. Beautiful. All right. I'm going to say a few things before I get to super resilient. So now I'm going to be the person who teases because I just have to address. There's such beautiful things you just threw out there. So, so I want to, I want to play with this word overcome because this word you've used a couple times, like how do we overcome these challenges? And you know, the super resilience might be a way to, to hang with that. But I have a really core principle in my, my work, which is anything we refuse to love can't be changed. Mm. So the relationship with itself, which is what you're describing, um, of, you know, how do I overcome these parts of me? Um, how do I get, you know, and, and clients come to me all the time and they say, like, I want to I get rid of my fear. I want to get rid of my lack of trust. I want to change this part of me. And it's like a battle going on inside themselves. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I've noticed is nobody wins in a war with yourself. Like yes. there's just casualties on the battlefield at the end of the day. So part of what I want to do is not worry about overcoming anything that I want to extend that. What we, you know, you mentioned is empathy, that compassion, that connection, that gentleness to all of the parts of yourself so that you can recognize no part of you is ever doing anything that's not in your best interest. Every single part of you is trying to help you usually stay safe, you know, especially if you've, you've had not a lot of support, um, maybe help you belong, maybe have, have a place 
in in this system so to have some significance. So, so the beginning. Hmm? I was just going to say, it's so good. I mean, I think it's so spot on, you know, I, I, you know, when I was talking a bit about my healing journey earlier, the, the part of that has allowed me to capture some bit of wholeness and it's still in process, but like, I really uncovered that there were these different parts of me, um, which some people refer to as the inner child. And, and, uh, you know, I, I kind of got that as a concept. And for a lot of people on this call, uh, there's probably like, I don't know what you're talking about. But but one way to think about it that I've learned is sort of like, I, I feel like there's these sort of three parts, you know, there's like this really sweet part of me that really yearns to be loved and, and protected and held um, that would show up in like looking for male authority figures or role models to like mentor me and and kind of believe in me. Um, and you can imagine what I did with that as an adult, which is like, ew, put that away. Yuck. You can't be needy. Like, no. Um, and the, of course, that had the impact of imagine if you treated anyone that way that was really needing something, needing love, seeking support. Imagine treating someone like pushing them in a corner. That would be devastating to that person. Um, and that was devastating to me. And so I just love what you're pointing to. There's other iterations of this for me, but um, the only thing that's really given me a sense of having more wholeness and groundedness and access to more of the full parts of me is as I've learned to identify that part and be there for that part myself um, and treat that part with love, love and listening and partnership. So I just, I just can't, highlight that piece enough it's so profound and it's been so helpful and um you know it took me something to get to that space so I, I just i just love that point that's awesome yay awesome so so i actually call this finding what the true name of that part of you is so usually when people come to me they say like oh i want to get over this fear that keeps me from like showing up like keeps me from asking for promotion, keeps me from whatever. And so, so I do a little process with people, but the, the end of the process is to get them to just ask this part of themselves what its true name is. Like, what is its intention for them? And this fear never comes up as like, my intention is to keep you small or to, to, to make your life miserable. It's, it will literally always show up as like, I'm working so hard to keep you safe. So as soon as we can acknowledge that, um, usually I just ask the question, well, if there were other ways that you could be even safer, would you be willing to kind of play in that field? And that part of us usually says, yes, you know, it's a job promotion. Yay. We want to get, we want to get more skills, but it's very different when you're lifting up all the parts of yourself than when you're tearing yourself down. And a lot of I really, so much of our energy, just tearing, tearing, tearing down. It's so good. I really appreciate that question. And I, I would challenge everybody to, to, to take that on, which is because even when you said that I immediately was like, Oh, like, what is that part of me? Cause I, I'm not, you know, there, I, I, I still have reactions to when I'm feeling needy, you know, I'm still like trying to reparent that part of me. But, but the question that you asked so, so beautiful is, which is like, um, something to the effect of like, what, why are you doing that or what's your intention? You, how, how, did, how would you ask the question to that part of you? So, so I use this Thich Nhat Hanh um, poem as a foundation for this. And he said, the poem's called Call Me By, your, by My True Names. Ah, 
So my goal is to hear what the true name is, because if we're calling something fear for self-destructive behaviors or even addiction. So, you know, if I, I look at addiction, for example, um, usually addiction is, unless it's biological, it's a desire to numb pain. Mm-hmm. So what is like, you know, if I ask, like, what is it that this numbing pain gets you? Usually it helps me be safe so I can just survive the day, mm-hmm. um, you know, or, or something like that. Yeah. So we're looking for like, what is this, the highest intention of this part of you? And honestly, there's very little need to reparent when you can connect into the highest intention, because then you say to the part that's, you know, I'm using addiction because you talked about adult children of alcoholics. Um, you say, okay, so part of me that is, is not addiction. It's actually the part of me that's trying really hard to keep me safe, keep yeah. me going through the day. If there were better ways to keep me safe, would you be willing to play along? Hmm. And usually the system goes, what? There's yeah. better ways? Like, because that's what, that's the coping mechanism that we learned when we were little. Totally. And we, we repeat what we survive. So yeah. if what you learned when you were little was some form of checking out that allows you to um, survive, you know, it be any kind of dissociation, could be food, could be gambling, could be whatever. Your system goes, cool, I'm going to latch onto this because I know I can survive it. Um, and we keep repeating it and repeating it. So good. It. It's so good. And, you know, the, the two things I get from that, it's like, you know, one is like this part of me that's needy when I say, you know, um, to hear what its true name is. It's like, um, there's this very loving response, which is like, I just, I just want you to be supported and held and remember that you can be partnered with. Um, and that's really cool. Right. Cause that's like, Oh, that's a, we're on the same page. I want that too. Maybe we could work together to figure that out. Um, yeah. and the second thing he said, you know, as it relates to addiction, you know, I've thought about this in my own life, like, um, um, I don't consider myself an alcoholic, but certainly you could have said that when I was in college in my, in my early twenties. And, um, you know, in reflection, I realized, you know, what, what was really happening is I was so starved for an experience of joy mm. and, and happiness and freedom, um, that that was the way I coped was, that was the only way that I could experience joy at that time in my life. So. I think it's just a, it's a really a beautiful, um, beautiful access point to kind of getting to a loving place with those parts of ourselves. That's really cool. Hmm. Nice. So I, I want to give us the one little other piece before we get into super resilience, um, which is part of what we're playing in right now. So I've been a huge advocate for, for personal development, um, evolving. So in my mind, personal development is something that has been largely individual. So it's been this personal inward journey. And what I think we're most in need of, you know, and we're seeing this literally, I'm in Portland right now um, and there's been protests for eight days um, in very, in my mind, very justified. Like there's some serious shifts we need to make in our culture, but when we keep looking inward, it's hard to actually look outward So this kind of connects into that empathy piece. So what I've been advocating for is collective evolution, is that we move beyond personal development and we start to evolve together. Mm -hmm. So when you talked about the the gentleman who was not, you know, his purpose, like what is our purpose? 
you know, this is one of those words that I just, I can't let go. I have to talk about this for a minute. Um, I, I don't think, you know, I think it's easy to say like, what's my individual purpose? Um, which is usually the answer to the question, what will make me happy? Um, and, and I have like great respect for that conversation. I, I, at the core of me, want people to be happy. I think when we're happy, when we're free, it's easier to be free and happy with other people and to lift other people up. And I think that happens at a collective evolution level that we are the product of a big bang, you know, of the big bang that now has created seven, almost 8 billion people on the planet. We are all connected, which is the part that a lot of self-help misses and a lot of our contemporary spirituality misses that we have this deep connection with each other. So one of the questions I'm really wanting people to be asking, and I'm asking myself this on a daily basis, is how do we collectively evolve into a way of being that is more loving, more compassionate? So when we're asking these questions of purpose um, and we're playing in super resilience, part of that, that question is like, how am I connected into what Martin Luther King Jr. called the inextricable web of life? Because we can't be disconnected. You know, we're, we're, a lot of us are, are literally like in the middle of the ocean going, oh, I'm not wet. Wouldn't it be interesting if I was wet? How do I get wet? I don't feel connected. I don't feel like I'm part of this ocean. And the waves are battering us around and moving us. But, but we're pretending we're not in the ocean. We are all part of this collective that's being called to evolve. And I think that's, we're seeing that across the planet. Um, and even COVID seems to be inviting some, some transformation, some changes in the way we think about each other, the ways we think about your country, my country. I mean, just if we think about that, these are imaginary lines in the sand that don't exist anymore because your breath going across that line could infect a whole country or change a whole country. Even my body, your body, right? Again, inextricably connected if breath moves through both of us, you know, which the Buddhists and the Hindus have known for thousands of years. So as we play in super resilience and in, in collective evolution, the place we start is, can I trust life? You know, can I trust that I'm part of a bigger system that is collectively evolving? And is there some capacity that I have to, to help the system evolve in a way that's better, that's more loving, that's more compassionate. Because I'm not saying everything happens for a reason and you just go with the flow and it's going to happen anyway. Um, I think part of collective evolution is we all get a choice um, to, to thrive or to go extinct in, in some ways, you know, or to, to at least disconnect from the system. So when we get to, to playing in super resilience, we're flipping this idea on its head. And I was sharing with you that I'm, I'm teaching this class and I shared that, oh, I'm doing some work on super resilience. And one of the students um, posted on Facebook, yeah, super resilience, it's grit plus determination, which is really like where that, what that word has meant forever. You know, it's meant this capacity to survive in any circumstance, you know, so you get like these survival, like survival of the fittest out, you know, on our own, making it, I'm going to, I'm going to survive, which honestly nobody does. We're all dependent on other people. That's completely an illusion. Totally. So with super resilience, we hang with the, the notion of, can I trust life? Um, which has a couple questions that goes with it. 
First is, am I able to ask for what I need and receive it fully? So actually, sorry, am I able to ask for what I need when I need it? That's the first question I frame this as. Because sometimes we ask for what we need 10 years after we need it. Um, so, and, and many of us do this, you know, myself included. None of these things, like, you know, I take all of this with a sense of humor. I think if we can't laugh at ourselves, we're in even bigger trouble. So, of course, you know, we realize what we needed five years later. And go, oh, it would be so amazing if I could have asked for that. Great. Well, now let's figure out what we need and find the way to ask for it. Can I receive it fully? So it's one thing to say, hey, I need, you know, I need a meal. You know, for so many of us, we're so hungry. And the place I keep seeing this in is particularly in connection. We're so hungry for other people to see us, to recognize us, to love us, and also to, to be able to love others. But, but people are giving it to us all the time. They're trying to feed us. So we're literally sitting at this buffet. The, the spread is all out there looking and going, hmm, I'm not going to eat that because I don't know how. And then the third question we ask is, can I give without expectation? So, which is the only way giving really is giving. You know, if, if we give with these strings attached, like I'm going to give you this, but only if you do X, Y, and Z, only if you love me this way, only if you connect to me this way, it's not really giving. Um, it's manipulating a little different. So to me, that's the, those are the conditions of super resilience um, that, and we have to do them together, right? If, if I say, can I ask for what I need when I need it? If it's only asking myself, there's no place to get those resources. You know, does yeah. that make sense? Totally. Yeah. I want to highlight, I want to highlight this and uh, I want to just call out um, kind of, I think what I, I believe that, and I think this is true for a lot of the listeners that they, we think of ourselves as very resilient people like mm-hmm. uh, tenacious and um, able to survive. Like, and I, if you don't think that about yourself, consider go look in your life, like the places where you have survived and been tenacious. Um, and it's funny cause you know, my, everything in me, like in this, you know, uh, COVID-19 pandemic situation, everything in me wants to um, go to the old ways of being resilient, which is like, you know, conserve money. Don't let any get out. Um, work hard, uh, you know, really there's sort of a restrictive survival kind of mindset, um, which I think people tend to think about as a resilient way, which is, I think what you said, that person said grit, uh, plus something, but, um, yeah, that it's more about, you know, I think we can define it as resilient as like hard work, you know, restrictive discipline, accountability, all those things that I, uh, now shun. Um, so, so what I love is you're talking about this idea of going from really just a sense of surviving to what does it look like to thrive? And, um, you know, that's kind of a cliche word to thrive, but I also hear like, you know, in a loving, powerful, more abundant way, I think is what I hear when I hear super resilience. And um, I, I want to just highlight these four things that you said, again, that that kind of make up super resilience and then dive into each one, because I think that that's really rich. So um, number one, to be able to trust life. Uh, number two, to ask for what you need when you need it. I can hear people being like, oh my God, how do I do that? Uh, three, to receive fully to receive fully. Um, and then four, uh, and I love this part cause I, I feel like the listeners will probably struggle with this one less. Um, but if we look deeper, 
there's probably a lot to learn there. And also I, I love, you know, when you think about this in the collective, um, you know, kind of those other three depend on the fourth one, you know, to, to that, that we practice giving without expectation. So, so to be able to trust life, to ask for what you need when you need it, to receive fully and to give without expectation. Um, so I would love, uh, you know, let me know how you think it would be best to go into this, but I think it'd be cool to kind of break down each one and get tactical. Like, how do we do that? Um, and, and what you mean by that? Does that, does that sound good? We'll do our best. Okay. So, so first thing we got to do is we got to celebrate this survival rate because a hundred percent of your listeners right now, a hundred percent of the people who are actively listening to this podcast have survived their life so far. So everybody who's listening, I just want to celebrate all that you've accomplished. And I mean this a hundred percent genuinely. Um, if you have made it to this morning, you know, or whatever time you're listening, if you've made it through all of the challenges in your life, that is something to be proud of. And it, I think part of this experience a lot of us have is we never take a pause and go, wow, okay. You know, we immediately put it in a broken frame and we go, oh, this survive, this survival thing, it's not, it's not where I want to be. It's not as good as I could be. I want to make it bigger. I want to make it better. And, and I just want to celebrate that, that you made it to this point. Mm. And this point, I feel like is an invitation just to evolve. So it's to take all of those beautiful things. So many of them, like, there, there's nothing wrong with hard work. You know, I personally, like, I love my work. Like I can fall into it in the sense that Mahali Chik sent me high talks about flow. You know, I can fall into my sense of flow and, you know, be working on something and four hours later go, where did the time go? Right. Yes. But I'm working on things I love. You know, we work on things on behalf of those people we love. We sometimes need accountability to support us. Discipline is good. You know, if we want to be healthy, but we eat chocolate cake, you know, for breakfast every morning, it's probably not going to help us get there. So I want to embrace all of those pieces that have been what helped you survive. None of those are things I want you to throw out or get rid of. Um, and there's a place where you can elevate. So I tend to think about three selves and I'll just name these. Um, the larger work that I do is called the human evolution system. So I've spent about, God, now like almost 30 years playing in this field. Um, since I was 17 and I, I worked as a crisis intervention hotline, um, counselor. And I started thinking about these questions. Um, so the elevation is really what super resilience is about. Now here's, so these three, so these three parts of us, sorry, I got my brain jumped the track for a second. Um, the three selves that I think about in the human evolution system, the first is what I call our survival self. Survival self is the one that like goes, can I make it, you know, can I, can I have enough food and I have shelter. That's a fine self. Like we need that self. So if, if you were like waking up and going, Oh, I don't need any food. I can sleep in the middle of the road. Those cars won't bother me. You'd be in trouble, right? We need you to, we need you to survive. Mm -hmm. Second self is what I call the human self. That's the one that most people who are listening to this call are going to be in. So, you know, you've, you've managed your survival needs. Like you're able to eat, you're able to have a place to live. And now when we go to human self, our human self is primarily focused on comfort. Um, and this is the, it's, you know, our culture has largely fallen into what I call the tyranny of comfort. So the way we exit every conversation 
that is a little, you know, like not great for us in that moment is, oh, this conversation is making me uncomfortable. Oh, I'm uncomfortable right now. Now, I'm not advocating for violating people's boundaries. I'm not advocating for having no boundaries, but I'm advocating for finding a space where we we're able to have a little bit of discomfort so that we can have the hard conversations um, that we can, we can move beyond whatever's going on now. So that's the one most of us are in. And what I'm inviting, what I mean, let me get through this last piece. Yeah, sure. What I'm inviting people to is this third self, which I call the evolutionary self. Mm. So the evolutionary self's question is how can I evolve? It's not, it's not denigrating or dismissing any of the other parts of ourselves. It's like concentric circles. We're expanding out and we need those foundational pieces to be able to have this third level. So when we look at super resilience, more than tactical, and I'll walk you through some of, some of these, it's really about creating a state where evolution can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, tactics tend to be, um, they tend to be ways to control. So when we're trying to trust life, which is, this is a tall order, by the way, I, there is no sense that I'm thinking like, oh yeah, everybody's supposed to be a hundred percent here, right? That's why it's an invitation to evolve. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a stretch. And this is going to be what helps us be in a different place. When we start just at a basic level, you know, folks ask themselves, all right, on a scale of one to a hundred right now, if I said, I trust life, you know, where would that be? And some people are going to listen to that question and be like, what the hell does that even mean? What's he talking about? Right? That's a fair question. These are all fair questions. When I say, do I trust life? Essentially what I mean is, do I move with the rhythm of life, with the flow of life? So the Taoists have this beautiful phrase in the Tao Te Ching that says, go up when the river goes up, go down when the river goes down. Sounds really simple, except most of us are completely trying to swim upstream. The water level goes down, which you can think about this if you get tired, but I'm going to power through it, right? Use, use the flow of life to be partnered with it. So this is what I mean by trust life. So am I partnered with life in a way that adds to the collective? So I, I don't a lot, and I'm giving you a lot of dense concepts today. No, it's really good. I have a real concrete example that I think makes that point, mm-hmm. which is right now, you know, um, you know, I'm a coach. My, my work is coaching. And so, um, you know, they call the coaching practice for a reason. It's not really, at least to my position so far, you know, I'm very successful as, as far as coaches go, but um, with being a practice, it, it has ebbs and flows. Truth, truth be told with business, there's ebbs and flows all the time. Right. So, um, um, I I would say I'm in a bit of an ebb, which is somewhat intentional. Like I'm rebranding, reinventing, you know, allowing some work to go by. And the facts are that financially I'm fine. I'm better maybe than I've ever been. Um, and, but there's this part of me that's like really cannot be with like, you know, having a little bit of a slower period for a few months. Um, and I'm really grateful because there's this other part of me that now I've, I've been able to embrace, which I think is what you're pointing to, which is like, you know, and the thing that I put to, to, to be able to trust life, it's like, um, can I trust that I'm going to be okay? Mm-hmm. I have a lot of evidence that no matter what, I'm going to be okay. But even with that evidence, you know, maybe a lifetime of evidence, you know, I still, there's a part of me that, you know, 
really has a hard time trusting life. Um, and I feel like I'm practicing that now, like, but you know, it's like these, you know, these two parts of me. Um, and, you know, I think part of, part of what I hear you saying is that, you know, in a way it's going to flow as it flows. So you can either, you know, you can resist it and you can work hard and you can, um, sort of fight it. Um, mm -hmm. but you can also trust it. You can also practice trusting and going with the flow of life and being with it. Um, yeah. So I, I just think that's, that's such a cool way. Something that I, I think that I'm, I'm really in the middle of that right now. I imagine a lot of people in this pandemic, right? Cause it's like, there's a lot of things to worry about. Um, but, but can you trust that you'll be okay? You know, that's kind of how I translate it into my language, but is that on yeah. the mark? Oh yeah. You're, you're right there. It's, it's funny to me. So I mean, most things are funny to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I've, I've like embraced a little bit of humor in the midst of the darkness because part of what I've noticed in, in my own practice is that if, if I worry about a lot of things right now, opposed to just simply pay attention to a lot of things and be aware, um, life is very different. So the, the worry is heavy. The paying attention is just a practice. So, you know, I get, I have to pay attention to, am I bringing a mask with me when I go out? Am I socially distancing? Am I doing these things to keep myself and other people safe and well? Um, and I've also noticed the tendency, and I'm sure all of us have, to be like, oh my God, is this the end of the world? You know, we've all seen these movies, that mm -hmm. this is the beginning. Um, and I said, well, you know, e either we're going to come out of this okay or we're, we're going to be dead. If, if I'm going to be dead, I, you know, I better enjoy what I got right now. Mm. So, so either way, I want to be present to the life that I have. So, yeah. So what the humor piece here is that ultimately you can't not trust life. We are all trusting life in the flow of life in the fact that all day long we're breathing. So one of the things when I, I lead, um, I do a lot of brain retraining exercises um, to get the brain to actually relax a little bit and let go of some of those early childhood patterns we were talking about and even patterns that we reinforced. And so one of the things I have people do is notice their breath. And I usually say to folks, notice your breath breathing itself. Up until this moment, you probably haven't noticed your breath. Um, if people are listening in, you know, they probably haven't gone, oh, that's an in-breath. Oh, I'm holding for a moment. I'm releasing. And yet we're doing that all day long, right? We have to trust that there's a basic flow that's happening in our body. We don't pay attention to our heartbeat as it pumps blood in and out, you know, fuels our whole body. We don't pay attention to our digestion. All of nor, these are systems. Nor can we control any of that, which I think is really fascinating, right? Like the miracle that those things are and the flow of it, you know, that and the, the we can't even control our very own body function, you know, which is such a cool thing for life, you know, in a way. Well, we can't control them, but we can partner with them hmm. to create a little bit of shift. Hmm. So for example, if you exercise, you can adjust your heart rate. Hmm. You know, if you meditate, if you focus on your breath, you can breathe deeper and you can fuel your body even more. Hmm. So in some places we have the capacity to partner with life hmm. to have more of a, a deeper experience. 
So, so we're constantly letting life move through us. Um, and so when you were talking about, I'm a little bit of an ebb, I tease my clients all the time when, you know, things get a little slower because we have to have these slower periods. We have to have these periods where we breathe in, right? So you're used to breathing out all the time. And this is like something for folks who have had um, the notion that they have to do everything on their own to prove their significance, their importance. You know, if we stop breathing out, like we stop creating um, evidence that we are important and we should be loved, which is really what that means. Um, if we stop doing that, it's like, oh my God, the alarm bells go off. I must not be valuable. I must not be lovable. I must, I must not belong to this tribe anymore. I'm not safe anymore. Right. So, so this can throw off some alarm bells, but we actually need to rest. We need to sleep, right? That's another one of those patterns we go through every day. If we don't go, if we don't sleep, we go crazy. Mm-hmm. So when you have this period where you're, I love to use the word reinventing yourself, you know, you're, you're evolving. Mm-hmm. You're spending some time going, cool, and I've grown this much. Um, and you're so articulate and, and connected to your own sense of growth. I love listening to you in, in your reflections. Um, so now you've got this reflective period where you can step out of comfort a little bit more and say, well, okay, well, what would it be like to stretch myself? Um, so, so I think all of us are, are being invited to do this all the time. And we pretend as humans that we are somehow not part of the natural cycle. We're not part of this inextricable web of life. And as soon as we remember that, it actually gets a whole lot easier. Like nobody I know is worried when they walk out their door, is there going to be enough gravity to hold me to the earth as I try to walk to wherever I'm walking? Right. Nobody's worried that they're just going to float off. So, I mean, just at that basic level, we're trusting life is going to cooperate with us and we're going to partner with it enough to get to the next place. We're, we're doing this all the time. And yet we hide the evidence you know, and kind of put it off in the periphery so that we can maintain this notion that we are in control completely and that we are super grit, determination, resilient. We can do it all on our own. And the reality is nobody's doing anything all on their own. It was so funny. I had a, a woman that was t- leading this call the other night for a couple hundred people. And um, she said, oh, yeah, I've been doing it all on my own my whole life. And I, I said to her, oh, cool. So you made that chair you're sitting in? She said, no. Oh, well, you made the clothes you're wearing? No. You, you, you grew the food you ate today? No. You learned English all by yourself? Yeah, like none of these things, right? These are all part of the collective. People are supporting us all the time. We're the product of thousands of people supporting us all the time. So I think that's such a powerful message, Chad. Like, I just want to add, like, you know, I think that that's true. Like I felt very alone and I, and the truth is I did do a lot of things alone, but, but to realize that there are so many people ready and willing and already supporting you, you know, is to realize that we, you are not alone, um, which I think is just a beautiful thing. Like when I was thinking about this, you know, to ask for what you need when you need it, you know, part of it is like, oh, there's actually lots of people, if we look for it, um, if we're open to it, that are really out there willing to support us um, and happy to, you know, happy to, happy to share for what we need. So, yeah. And the easy thing for people to notice is 
again, you, you referenced this earlier, like it's probably easier for people to think about giving. Like, oh yeah, I give without expectation all the time. Um, if you think about your own capacity to give, like, and, and the folks who are listening in, you know, think about your desire to give to other people. It's pretty strong. Totally. For most of us, we're like, we want to give. In fact, um, one of my favorite scholars, Bert Hellinger, has a phrase, when we give, we feel innocent. When we receive, we feel guilty. Hmm. So, so we, like, we actually, the feeling of giving is really lovely. It's this delicious like, experience. You know, the only time it doesn't feel good is when people don't actually notice that we gave. Hmm. You know, we feel unacknowledged. But we, you know, at the core of us, we want to give. So if you want to give that much, how interesting it is that we're thinking, oh, but other people don't want to give us anything. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll never have our needs met. Now, when your grandmother used to say, you came by it honestly. If you're a child who didn't get your needs met, which is most of us at some level, then there's going to be a belief that we're kind of a, a way of being in the world that says my needs won't get met unless I meet them myself. Yeah. And part of what creates that is the way that we do this um, asking for our needs as if life was Santa. So, you know, the way we would write our Christmas list that I would like a red bicycle 10 speed on the 25th. And, you know, it it needs to come in exactly this way in this fashion. And so we limit our capacity or test life in a way by saying, this is the way that this needs to show up. We do this with relationships. You know, my partner needs to be this height and this weight and this, you know, whatever. Um, We do this with jobs. There's a difference between framing what's the experience of life I'd like to create and then being open to all of the ways that life could bring support for that versus like, this is the one path, um, which I find just fascinating. And, and, and like embrace myself, like all the time I have to remind myself there, you know, I, I always think there's at least 10 opportunities for the one that we see. So what are the nine that I'm missing right now? I love that. I love that. Um, I could talk to you the rest of the day, I think. Um, <laughs> um, I'm kind of, uh, and, you know, happy to if you're available, but I'm guessing you have other important things to, to tend to. Um, I would love to, uh, you know, and, and I'll provide the resources, of course. You can go to uh, scottwmills.com um, where there's a beautiful, uh, looks like a free webinar around super resilience. If you want to dive in deeper, I think it's like, two or two and a half hours is really cool. And, um, also some of the ways to work with you, but I would love to know, like, you know, kind of, I'm just, I'm so grateful for this conversation, really grateful for your insight and your wisdom. Um, and I'd love, you know, to kind of give you the space to be, you know, if you could, um, you you know, I think that people have been becoming aware. I think they've gotten so much today. Um, what would you recommend if they wanted to take a step, you know, or to kind of, if they were thinking about, you know, the rest of this year um, and I want to really start to learn and practice becoming um, super resilient. Um, what, what would you, what would you suggest? Uh, I know it's like, I'm not big into tips or, you know, I said tactics earlier, but, but what I really meant is like kind of, you know, what direction to go into. Yeah, um, I understand. So yourself. what, what would you say? You know, what would you offer as kind of where we could go? Okay, so let me, let me take two minutes to explain what super resilience consists of, and then uh, let's do something. So I'm, I'm somebody who's super in action, so I'm like, let's just do it now. Let's not wait. 
So, so when I talk about super resilience, here's, here's the thing to know. We've talked about the two, two of the pieces. So one of them is to have a sense of safety. The second one is to allow support. You know, we've touched into a little bit of connecting to your wholeness and the way that, that for me, that's the way that I look at people. I'm engaging, you know, in my best, best moments. There are definitely moments where I'm like, oh, what's wrong with you? <laughs> you know, because we're human. So, you know, we've talked a little bit about coming back to your wholeness. There's five other things, and I'm just going to name them. And then we'll do, we'll do a little something. Um, because these are actually layers. So the foundational layers to get safe, but I just like to have people have a little map. So fourth part of the state, and, and I call it super resilience because we're, the intention is to get all eight of these to fire at the same time so that whenever we're engaging something that feels like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to deal with this. All of a sudden we feel safe. We feel supported. We connect into our wholeness. And then we ignite our curiosity. We start to notice like, ooh, what are the questions that I could ask here? Because when we're safe, it's actually easier to ask questions, supported. Um, we have a sense of clearing the channel so our ego gets out of the way. This is part of the Buddhist kind of frame that I work in. So, you know, what, what if I could just allow this to happen? This is the way we're talking about Santa Claus and kind of letting go of that mentality. We have to step into our bodies. We're human beings that have full bodies, right? So we need to get our into our body. We need to fill up our vessel or energize ourselves so that we have a sense that like we're not exhausted, that there is a sense of energy moving through us. And the last piece of that is we expand our possibilities. We begin to see all of the ways there are many, many possibilities. Now, it takes me eight weeks to do that with people. And you, you can go to that link um, it's scottwmills.com front slash prime, P-R-I-M-E. Um, and it's got that name because people were asking me to teach them how I coach. And I said, okay, well, let me figure out what the techniques are, the strategies, the ways that I work with people. And I realized that most of the folks I was going to teach were going to take my tools and look at people as if they were broken and try to fix them. And I said, can't have that. That's not the point. doesn't involve us. Um, so I wanted to teach, how do you step into that super resourceful place, that super resilient place where you can be okay and you can flow with life in the moment? And you practice that in advance, by the way. Like if you're, if you're in the middle of crisis and you're like, okay, now's the time to learn how to be super resilient. That's like as if, you know, all of a sudden you were running on the street as a car was coming after you and you went, you know, I think I'll be a marathon runner, right? And you decide I'm going to run 20, 23 miles right? You have to train. So we train our brains to be super resilient. So that's a little of the mapping. Um, and this stuff, you know, I, I love this conversation. You, you're so fascinating, Rodney. We, we could talk all day and I have somebody at 11. Um, but what I want to do with folks right now is have you notice the very first part. So, and first thing, just before we even go anywhere, just celebrate yourself. This is something I've said a lot. Celebrate yourself, celebrate yourself, celebrate yourself and be gentle with yourself. So these two things, if you can just pause enough to notice like, wow, I'm, I'm like, I've done some cool things, not, not comparing with other people, right? That's going to always shoot you down, but just like, wow, I've made it. Like my life has been hard sometimes, but I've, I've survived today. I've survived a childhood that maybe wasn't as ideal as I wished it was. I've survived challenges. Like you come through this drinking phase you talked about, which was a way that your system looked for joy. Like, wow, how cool. 
not how cool that, you know, maybe that technique didn't work so well, but your system was not only able to reach for joy. So I'd celebrate that piece. And then I'd celebrate the fact that you found a different way to do it. So all of these things. And I love that too. I love that, Scott. I just want to add, you know, even the very nature that you're listening to something like this for our listeners, it's like, that's a pretty cool thing because you're all of the things that you listen to, but you know, you're, you're engaged in a conversation and in a depth of a conversation, especially if you've made it this far in our conversation today, like you're engaged in a depth that is really special, like that you have the awareness and yearning and curiosity to be in this kind of conversation. I, I I really celebrate that. You know, when I think about coaches and and people that are in this line of work, therapists and helpers and healers, and even just people who listen to their friends in a loving way, I just think that that is really something to celebrate. So I, I really love that. And I, I, um, I just want to highlight that. That's really cool. Thank you. Well, it it reminds me, Rumi says that what you were seeking is seeking you. Mm -hmm. So for those people who are listening the part of them that is seeking evolution and the part of, you know, whatever we're offering here that might be an invitation, it's seeking each other. Mm. So the, the place I want folks to drop into for just a moment, and this only takes a moment, um, is we begin by noticing that we're safe. It's really simple. So if you're listening along and you want to know how to start getting connected to your super resilience, take a few breaths in, this does not take you long. You don't have to be in a highly meditative state. You don't have to ohm, although I do love ohming and chanting. Um, but simply take a few breaths and notice your breath breathing itself. Notice this connection to life that you have, whether you want to or not, whether you acknowledge it or not, whether you're present to it or not, that life is moving through you all the time. When you go to sleep, you keep breathing. When you're not paying attention, you keep breathing. Your heart keeps beating. Your digestion keeps going. All of these processes of the body keep moving and moving. And now from that place, just scan your body in this present moment. Because remember, the past has happened. You are no longer in it. And the future hasn't arrived. So we don't have to worry about it. We just have to be in this present moment. Find any space in you. It can be behind your left ear, on your right little toe, any space in you that knows what it feels like to be safe in this moment. And I have done this with thousands of people, and I know that every single person can find some part of them that knows in this moment they are safe. So just allow that part to show up. You don't have to create it. You don't have to control it. You don't have to make it. You just have to allow it to raise its little hand and go, oh, here I am. And then simply allow your attention, your energy, your breath, your consciousness to move into that space of safety for just a few breaths. Now, this is a super simple way to begin to connect to super resilience. Because this is the place that you are acknowledging, I am safe in this moment. Anytime you can notice you're safe or you're happy or joyful or whatever emotion that you want, anytime you can notice something is safe somewhere, you can start to allow it to be safe other other places. Mm. So you might notice that from that little place, it just might expand out a little bit more. So this is the beginning of super resilience. Now, 
this is a super easy, you know, something we do in two minutes um, place. But I don't know about the folks who are listening, but I know for me, my whole system just relaxed. And what we did is we went into parasympathetic nervous system, that peaceful nervous system that stopped sorting for danger for a minute. Mm-hmm. Then we can start to build. That's so cool. I, I love that. I mean, <laughs> funny enough, you know, I, and further our listeners, I was closing my eyes and going through this as uh, Scott was leading us through it. And, uh, you know, the place that I went to, which was like my, my like toe, <laughs> I was mm-hmm. like, Oh, my toe feels nice and safe. It has like a nice sock over it and a shoe. Um, and no matter what happens, um, you know, my, my toe will be safe no matter how much money, no matter what it's my toe is safe. Um, and I love, you know, I'm going to take that because I, I hope that people can take that. I, I was thinking about an example of, you know, you know, when I go into a scary meeting or, you know, maybe I have a job interview or, you know, have to have a difficult conversation with my loved one um, to, to be able to have a, a toehold <laughs> in safety. That's so beautiful. Um, and I think really there's so many things that we talked about today that I just loved, but like, um, that idea of being able to focus on what is already present, that the safety that already exists and, and put our attention there. Um, it's so cool. Cause I think, and I hope what a lot of people are getting today too, that, you know, it doesn't, you can access this now. It doesn't have to be, you know, 30 years of, you know, this unending journey of fixing something that isn't wrong about you. So um, that is really really beautiful, really encouraging, Scott. Um, I really want to thank you so much for, for sharing today. And um, is there anything else that, that you want to leave, uh, leave our listeners with or um, any way that they can, uh, if they'd like to interact or reach out or learn more from, from your teaching, is there anything that you would like to leave us with? Oh, sure. So, I mean, if you want to get more about me, that's pretty easy. Just go to scottwmills.com. There's tons of information, the courses I teach, whether it's for Mind Valley, it's you know something I'm doing, something else. Find all that there. You can find me on all the traditional social media pieces. Um, and, and the thing, I wanna bring us back just to this, this starting point that we started, the context we framed this conversation with, which is to be gentle with yourself. So if you heard nothing else on this call, because I know so many folks who've, not had the support they wanted, that they needed, um, can beat up on ourselves. We can make ourselves wrong or broken or bad. And we'll look for the ways that even doing that is bad. It's like, oh, if you just stop beating up on yourself. (laughs) Again, like I'm layering this layer cake of guilt and shame and doubt and all these things pop up. But if you can simply respond to that as if you would whisper in the ear of your beloved, or you would whisper into the ear of your child, you know, just with that gentleness and that love and that compassion for yourself that you would give the gift to other people that I know that you give to people, life would start to change in the ways that you're looking for anyway, without having to have all the recriminations and the accusations. So if there's one thing that I can leave you with, it's to simply be gentle with yourself and allow that beautiful heart of yours that's, that's the reason you're listening in, the desire to connect, to evolve, just to have space to breathe. I absolutely love that. And uh, I hope you all really uh, took something from today and, and um, 
you know, it's easy for me to see, even though I don't know most of you listening, that I love you. I, I think you're pretty awesome. I know if I talk to you or Scott talked to you for a few seconds, we would see um, the beauty in you and the wholeness in you. Um, so thank you so much. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for listening. Um, and I think that that's a gift that we can all take into our day, even if it's simply entertaining the idea that maybe um, we aren't guilty. Maybe we can be um, entertain the idea of being gentle with ourselves as a start. I think it's just a really beautiful place. So um, thank you so much. And uh, we will see you next time. Thanks, Rodney.